Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Isaiah writes, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you tonight. We praise you because you are a savior and you are our counselor. Thank you, Lord, for being a friend to us. Thank you for leaving your throne in heaven to sit in a manger as a vulnerable baby, to grow up in a fragile world and in a dark time that we could know God, that we could love you, that we could serve you, and that we could spend eternity with you and our Father in heaven. We honor you today, Lord. Thank you for your birthday. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've studied how Jesus is empathetic. Jesus teaches us that we can be empathetic too because Jesus stepped in our shoes. He knows where we've been. He knows how fragile life is because he was beaten to a bloody pulp, hung on a cross, experienced death, and then he lived in victory of resurrection. Jesus is able to minister to us because he's empathetic and he calls us to be empathetic, to lead others to God. We can forgive because Jesus forgives. And Jesus has taught us that in order to be whole, in order to be one with God and receive God's forgiveness, we need to forgive and let grudges go because Jesus set the example. Our wonderful counselor teaches us to forgive. And our wonderful counselor also teaches us that grief is hard and grief is gut-wrenching and grief, it's okay to grieve when we feel sad. And Jesus grieved at the loss of his friends And then we also learn that Jesus wants us to be vulnerable. Jesus didn't call us to be fake and and pretend like we're more righteous than we're not. Jesus calls us to be vulnerable and be authentic and share our burdens and our struggles with people that we trust and share our struggles with God in an honest, heart-filling kind of way. And today, we are going to talk about hope. And what a perfect season to discover the hope of Jesus. I mean, even the mom from Home Alone knows that this is the season of perpetual hope. Do you remember the line from that movie? (laughs) Yes. I always think of the donut falling onto the phone. That was really gross. Anyway, however... Um, we, we know that this is the season of hope, but however, we asked that question to the people who, was, who were alive in Jesus's day, and it wasn't a glorious day. It wasn't a silent night. I mean, let's be real. Mary gave birth in a stable. Can any woman testify? Would that have been a silent night? No, Jesus was born as a baby. It was a birth and it was hard. And he was born in a time in a space that was the darkest time in history. The average lifespan for a person during this time was 35 years old. 
35. Because most babies who were born didn't make it. A lot of moms died during childbirth. And most of those moms were teenagers. A lot of men died because of war and violence from their own communities and from the oppressive rule of Romans who came in and crushed everyone. It was a dark time. That's life. We talk about finances. Can you find food? Can you find medical care if you have no money or resource to get it? They didn't even know a lot about medicine back then, and only the wealthy could afford medicine. So if you were sick, there's not a whole lot going on for you. So this time in history was very, very dark. And we find that right in the middle of darkness is where hope is born. In the middle of our dark circumstances, the darkest of our nights and the darkest of our days, that's when God gives us our brightest hope. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the Bible says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will rise. Right in the middle of utter despair, our wonderful counselor is born to bring us hope of our salvation. Hope comes in the context of the darkest of circumstance. And now in general terms for human, we talk about hope. And hope is actually a human expression that every single person is born with, no matter what age, no matter, well, everybody's born at the age of zero, I guess. (laughs) No matter what age you are, you have some amount of hope. No matter what country you're from, no matter what socioeconomic status you have, no matter what religion you are, God has put hope ingrained inside of every single person. And so on on a surface level, this is the definition of hope, is that hope is the general belief that the future will be better and an individual has the power to make that goal happen. And so I have an example for you is that um, Dan has this goal. We're all getting together with Dan's siblings and parents for Christmas this year. And so we're planning meals and stuff. And Dan remembers that when he was little, his grandma made sourdough pancakes for breakfast when they were over. Has anyone had sourdough pancakes ever? I got a hand back there. I've never tried it. So Dan was like, oh, it'd be so cool if I could make sourdough pancakes. What's the recipe for that? Well, you can't just make sourdough pancakes. You have to like have this yeast concoction that you've, um, you've matured over time and over care and you've nurtured. And so Dan looks at this recipe and he ordered a starter kit online. And he gets the instructions and the instructions, it takes seven to 10 days to do this starter kit in order to make sourdough pancakes. And so it's, it's almost like a baby in the house, a really, really stinky baby that you can't change the diaper. And it's sitting by my kitchen sink. And so what he did is he took a dry yeast packet of some sort and mixed it together with flour and water and sugar. I don't know what he did. But that was the start. And then every day, every 12 to 24 hours, he's supposed to do something with it. So like mix it up, pour half of it out, add flour. Mix it up, pour half of it out, add sugar. And so this is like a 10-day process that he's nurturing the sourdough pancake mix so he can make sourdough pancakes for Christmas. And so Dan has a goal. And he has a pathway to get to that goal. He had to figure out where to find the starter kit, how to nurture it. He's following the directions day after day. I mean, it's like devotions, pancake mix work. (laughs) Not, Not really that stringent, but it is something he does every day. 
And so this is a goal that he has, and he has hope of having sourdough pancakes. That's his hope. And so he's going to take the path that he has to take to get there, and he has the energy and the willpower to make that happen. And so if we look at hope, um, hope is actually a a form of counseling and therapy, um, and therapy and counseling, and it's called hope theory. And where people uh, will look at hope, scientists have discovered how to measure hope. And this gets tricky because hope is just like a feeling in us, like an abstract thought that helps drive us. So how do you measure that? So scientists have looked at hope and they thought, well, we can measure people's perception of what they think and what they feel. And so they measure, first of all, people's understanding of the pathways available for them to reach a goal and their flexibility to find different pathways in case that path does not work out. And they also can measure a person's willpower to get to that goal. So for example, someone has a goal and they come up with a plan of how to get to that goal, but if they just kind of give up and they're like, oh, that path is too hard, I'm going to not do that. Then they're not going to reach that goal. So that's willpower, is the ability to follow through with those steps. And so hope can be understood because hope is different than something that we wish for. We often get hope and wish mixed up. When we hope for something, we believe that tomorrow can be better than our day today. When we have high hope, we believe that we can accomplish a goal. And so since we believe it, we take the path to get there and we use our willpower to take those paths. Hope tells us that even though something is hard, we can keep trying to reach our goal. So a wish is something that we hope for that's completely outside of our control. Because I think we use hope a lot. Like, uh, you know, I hope it's going to be summer tomorrow in December. I hope it's 85 degrees tomorrow. Well, actually, <laughs> kind of feels like summer today, doesn't it? Uh, so maybe that's a hope and not a wish. But, you know, like a wish would be, I wish the Brewers had won the World Series. We can't go back and change that for the Brewers, although that was really sad. Or I wish I could have a million dollars right now. Well, that's not a hope. That's a wish. It's not going to happen while I'm standing here right now, right? I use this example in one of my first grade classes because we've been learning about hope at school in counseling class. And so I, I told the first graders, I was like, like a wish of mine would be, I wish I could be Mickey Mouse. And you know, it's silly, right? And a little first grader raises his hand and he says, but Miss Mandy, you could be Mickey Mouse. I was like, really? Explain that. <laughs> and he said, well, if you practice your Mickey Mouse voice enough and then you go to Florida and you try out for the Mickey Mouse voice, maybe you could be the Mickey Mouse voice on television. <laughs> I was like, dude, you've got a lot of hope. Good job. <laughs> uh, so hope involves a goal that we want to see happen, a feasible, attainable, specific goal. And no matter how driven we are, we each have goals that God has placed in our hearts. Some of us have big goals and lofty goals, and some of us have everyday task goals. In fact, I think all of us in this room have a big goal and all of us have a small goal of some sort, but God has made us, ingrained us humans to have goals. And when we have goals, we also need to have a plan to get to that goal. And like we said already, a plan is called a pathway to get to that goal. And this is going to be like the road that you drive to get to your destination. So let's pretend for a minute, for example, that we're going to go for a drive, okay? So everybody come get in our big, big car. That's bigger than a bus. 
but we're all going to fit in this car, okay? So we're all sitting in the car together, and we're all really excited, and we're ready to go because we are going to the Oak Creek Assembly of God Christmas Festival. (laughs) Who all has been there so far? Yay! I'm so glad that you came. If you haven't come yet, this is the last weekend. We have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 6 to 8. Uh, six to nine, and it's so fun. So come, come be a part of that. It's so fun, and bring a friend with you. And so we're all going to the Christmas festival. Okay, we get in our cars. Our our teeth are brushed. We know the directions. We have gas in our car. We have a way to get there, and we know the route to take. And we all get in the car. We start singing Christmas carols. We might have hot coffee in our in our laps, and we're just on our way. And we're so excited to get to the Christmas festival and see our kids ride the carousel and pet those uh, live animals and we're excited to see the stage plays and listen to the live music you catch my drift it's going to be really fun and we're driving along and oh no road construction the road is closed well okay well we tried let's just go home no more christmas festival no that's not what we actually do right if we get to road construction then we find a different route to get to the goal that we're trying to get to. We, we find a different road to go to the Christmas festival. And so your journey might be paused. It might be inconvenient. It might even be hard to get around the construction, but you keep pursuing your goal because you have willpower to get there. And so we might get to a barrier on the way to our goal. We might have to stop for a minute because things are really tough but we're gonna keep going to our goal. Pathways help us get to our goal because you've got goals and you need a pathway to get there. You have dreams that God has put in your heart and you are gonna find a path to get to that dream. The other thing that will help you get to your goal is willpower. And now someone with a small amount of hope might say, oh, this is too hard. I give up. There's no way I'm going to get through this construction. I'm going to just stop and go home. Or I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I was stupid to take this route. I might as well just go home and give up. That makes us feel small and it makes us lose hope. Or how about this one? No one cares if I'm going to be there anyway. So I might as well just turn around and go home. I don't care about that goal anymore. Nobody else cares. But when we have big hope, we change the way that we think that affects our willpower. And so we, we say things like, I don't understand this yet, but I think if, if I talk to somebody about it, if I get help, then maybe we can find a different pathway to get to this goal. So hope is a powerful force in every human being that God has put there. And because we're constantly thinking about goals that we would like to attain. So for example, small goals in your day would be, I want to go to life together tonight. And we all got to life together tonight because you all are here. And so you all had to overcome different road constructions to get here, right? Like maybe your kids didn't want to be on time, or maybe you couldn't find a shoe at home, or maybe you had to eat dinner first and you're running really late, or maybe work went too too late and you thought, I'm not going to get there, but if I try really hard, I can get there on time. You had the goal to find a cookie that you liked. You had a goal to fix your coffee the way you wanted to. So you've already met like a ton of goals just to be able to sit in here tonight. And so hope is powerful because it drives you to your goals. And God designed us all to have goals. So I want, I want you to think back in Genesis that when God designed Adam, he breathed life in Adam, and then he had a relationship with Adam. But the third thing that God gave Adam was a sense of purpose. 
God gave Adam a goal to name all of the animals in the garden. And then when Eve came along, he gave Eve a goal with Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God has filled our hearts with a sense of purpose and a sense of goal and a sense of hope. So that's why a a baby will naturally, not thinking about it, but just naturally go from a laying position to a flipping over position, to a crawling position, to a pulling up, to walking, to climbing, to wreaking havoc on the house where we have to keep every door closed or they're going to play in the toilet. Because fundamentally, every human has a goal to grow and develop and get better. When people feel hopeful, their ability to accomplish goals, they tend to live longer. Studies show that people who have high hope have stronger mental health. They're better connected to their communities. They actually have lower heart disease rates and they're more confident socially. Children who measure with high hope have better grades, have better friends in school, their graduation rates are higher, and someone who scores high on a hope scale is a better predictor of success in college than the SAT, ACT, or high school GPA. That hope is powerful, right? It's strong. And now we've learned about human hope. That's just basic surface level human hope that God has given every person alive. More than that, God has designed all humans to thrive when they are hopeful. Human hope is limited to human capacity. So even though God has given hope to every single person to have a goal and to work to achieve it, it's limited to human capacity. So I don't want us to misunderstand this message tonight, that this isn't a humanism message of, oh, we're humans, and so we can get better. There's some truth to that, but the God-given goal of our life is a God-given hope, that God is the source of God-sized hope. And the Bible has so much to say about God-sized hope. Hope is the anchor for our souls. Hope keeps us looking to our inheritance in God. Hope lifts up the downcast soul. Hope is the universal goal for God's people. Hope renews our ability to soar with God. It points us to the goodness of God. It gives us night vision when everything is dark around us and there is no light to see by. Hope is the product of suffering. Hope is the overflow of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Hope gives us focus. It's the end game of our salvation and our walk with God. Hope makes us bold. Hope is a hunger and desire for the ways of God to be revealed in us and through us and to us. Hope from God is good and hope from God is powerful. And so tonight, our wonderful counselor, Jesus, wants us to see that his hope as revealed to us in the Bible and through the Holy Spirit sparks a divine purpose His hope paves pathways, and his hope inspires endurance. So hope in the Bible has several meanings. There's two Hebrew words for hope that's used pretty often throughout the Old Testament. The first word for hope has has a definition of, of a waiting, an expected waiting on God. And not just because of our human ability to wait, but it's the God given willpower to wait on him because God is trustworthy. Not because we are long in our suffering, not because we are really good at waiting, but because we can trust that God has good things in store for our future. 
So that kind of hope teaches us that we can wait on God because our hope is in God and God is trustworthy and God comes through. The other word for hope in Hebrew is it actually talks about a twine of cord. And so I want you to think of yourself as a string. And when life gets stressful and you get pulled taut, what happens to string that isn't strong? It breaks, right? And so this other biblical concept of hope is like a cord being woven together. That when we feel pulled, stretched, and taut, our God-given hope intertwines with our small hope and makes us strong so we don't break under pressure because our hope is in God and God makes us strong. And we can expect him to come through because he's promised to be our present help. So tonight we're going to look at hope, God-given hope from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, yet we suffer now as our, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of a future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we are saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And in this, we find that God-given hope sparks a divine purpose, that God-given hope is our goal. Have you ever watched the World Cup, like anybody in this room ever watched the World Cup or watched a soccer game, like even a kid's soccer game? When When I watch soccer, I'm not a runner, and so I just cringe. Like, (laughs) the muscles in my legs start to burn, and I'm just like, oh, I'm out of breath, and I'm just sitting on the couch eating popcorn. Not that I watch soccer that much, but anytime I've watched soccer, that's how I feel like. And I just feel exhausted watching these players run up and down the field. I mean, for miles, for miles, kicking this ball. And I feel so sad for the players because they get from one end of the soccer field all the way down to the other end and they go to score a goal and it bounces off the goalpost or they go to score a goal and the goalie blocks it and it ends up all the way down on the other side of the field. And I just watch and I'm like, all that work for nothing. (laughs) So much running and so much pain and so much endurance. And so the, soccer's, the soccer players, they have a small goal to make the ball into the goal, right? It's just a small goal, but it's not their ultimate hope. Their hope is to win the soccer game. That's why they keep running endlessly up and down the field trying to get a ball in a small area of ground. Their hope is that they win the game. And so they're going to keep trying to pursue the goal of getting the soccer ball in the goalposts. In these verses, Paul points out that suffering happens, that there's pain that happens when we try to get the soccer ball into the post. When we work hard for a goal, there's pain involved, there's perseverance involved, there's, there's grit involved, there's drive involved, there, there's hardship involved, and there's barriers in our life that happen outside of our control. So we've talked about road construction, that's not a whole lot of suffering, but there's barriers that happen in our lives that can be profound 
that can take our breath away that's not so easy to shrug off or find another pathway around. Like the loss of a job or the loss of finances. When we lose finances, how are we going to feed our families? That's a heavy barrier to carry. Or what about disease like cancer or heart disease or mental illness? There's so many hard things that happen in this world that just, it doesn't feel like stopping for road construction. It feels like we got broadsided by a semi-truck while we're trying to figure out what path to take. And barriers can take our breath away. It can be so painful. In this passage, Paul doesn't lessen our experience with suffering. Paul addresses our sufferings as barriers that keep us from getting to the goal of our hope. And in this, we find the divine purpose that the ultimate goal has, that God has for our lives. And God's goal for our lives isn't to score a goal every once in a while, to do good every once in a while, to make it through life every once in a while. Our ultimate God-designed given goal is to spend eternity with him. That this temporary living, our temporary sufferings, is nothing compared to the future glory that God has designed for us in heaven. And we put our suffering, no matter what suffering, no matter how deep or how hard or how painful or how outside of our control it is, we realize that God has an ultimate purpose for our life and that our hope is secure because we're waiting on him and he is our hope and he doesn't fail us. He is our goal. Life is hard and when we run into barriers or rather when barriers run into us, barriers could threaten if we're not careful to rob us of our hope in God's promises. But God is our hope. Being with him is the divine purpose for the Jesus follower. When you trust that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, that you cannot, are not capable of carrying your sins by yourself and making it to heaven, when you realize you have to put your hope and trust in Jesus who carried your sins for you so you could be made right with God, and then that same Jesus who died on the cross also raised from the dead because he was powerful enough to defeat death and the grave and then to go to heaven, and now he's in heaven interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. How often do you think about that, right? Like we pray to God all the time for stuff, but Jesus is praying for you right now to his Father in heaven. God is our goal and Jesus is our pathway. Paul furthermore says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son could be the firstborn among all many brothers and sisters and having chosen them he called them to come to him and having called them he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing he gave them his glory he gave he chose he called and here we see that God-sized hope paves pathways for us to reach our goal in Christ. 
When we're facing a barrier in our lives, look at all the pathways that Jesus has given to us. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit paves pathways for us by helping us in our weaknesses. I love this verse. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the word for help is a Greek word, and it's only used two times in the entire Bible. It's used here, the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness. And the one other time it's used in the Bible is when Mary and Martha have Jesus over for dinner. Does anyone else feel stressed out about a clean house and a good meal when you're having someone over for dinner? Anybody? Oh, just me. Okay, good. Well, (laughs) that's when it's like a true test of my salvation because I can get really uptight and think, ah, I'm not going to be ready in time. My house is going to be a wreck and all this stuff. And so it's a lot of work to have people over for dinner. And so Mary is having the savior of the world over for dinner. So what does she want to do? She wants to make a wonderful meal for Jesus and his disciples. And she wants a clean house and she's working really hard and she's cleaning the kitchen and she's sweeping and she's... Um, getting food ready and all that stuff. And here's Mary, that sister, just sitting down with Jesus, not doing anything. And Martha comes along to Jesus and she says, Jesus, will you please tell Mary to come and help me? That's the second time that word is used in scripture. And I love it because Martha is doing mundane daily tasks of taking care of the house and cooking dinner and trying to do just life stuff. And she asks for Jesus to have Mary help her. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He helps us. Just like Martha was asking Mary to help her do mundane tasks, the Holy Spirit is with you to help you in every single weakness in your life. Whether that's the weakness of having an organized house or the weakness of feeling timid to share the gospel with someone, the Holy Spirit helps us with every single weakness you have in your life. I love that. The Holy Spirit is our pathway to help us out. I love this word, for help. The Holy Spirit wants to make pathways for you to be with the Lord. And that's why he paves the path for us. In the middle of our weakness, when we come against barriers and struggles through our weaknesses, we see the beautiful promise that God works all these things together despite our weaknesses, despite our experiences. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. God has called you to know Jesus. He made the pathway for you to know him and to have relationship with him, not because you tried hard, not because you came up with a good idea, but because God calls and God chose and God knows you. God made our path. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the path, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's no way we could ever reach the goal of heaven without the path of Jesus Christ that he is our pathway. So we find that God is the goal of our hope, and now we find that Jesus is the pathway of our hope. And finally, we see that God-sized hope inspires endurance. Willpower is something that gives us energy to pursue a goal despite any opposition or barrier that might get in the way. But what if the barrier feels too big or too powerful, or too strong for even God to handle? 
What if our faith feels too weak? What if we're overwhelmed with trials and temptations? What if we fail? What if our willpower is too weak to achieve our goals? Let me remind you that God is the source of all God-sized hope, that you and I are not the source of our hope, that God is the source of our hope, and God never, never fails. Your willpower might be small, but his isn't. You might be too weak, but God is mighty and strong and powerful to save. Paul continues in Romans 8, 31 to show us that God is not only the source of our hope, he's not only the goal of our hope, he's not only the pathway maker for us to achieve our goal, he is also our willpower to reach the goal of being with him. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 35. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst of sins listed in scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. None of this phases us because Jesus loves you. Jesus was born in a manger for you, not for Christmas festivals, not for Christmas trees, not for lights, not for family togetherness. Jesus was born in a lowly manger for you to know God and to have a relationship with God and achieve the hope and the goal of your souls. Jesus loves you. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing Nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love for us because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And this Christmas season, the season of hope, your wonderful, perfect counselor, Jesus Christ, wants to remind you that when you follow Jesus, you not only have a reason to hope, but you have God-sized hope. And on the surface level, hope is in every human being, but a God-sized hope looks like this. Is there another slide? Yes. God-sized hope looks like this, that hope involves goals, God is the goal of our hope. That God-sized hope, that hope involves pathways. Jesus and the Holy Spirit paves pathways for us to achieve our goal in Christ. God-sized hope involves willpower, and that willpower is God's love for us. I want you to realize that every single element, measurable element of hope in this world is from God and God alone, and God alone is every single 
aspect of hope that we will succeed. And based on that, whatever you're facing, you can have hope in God because God loves you, that God is love and love never fails. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, Lord. We worship you. You are the source of our hope. You are our pathway. You are our willpower. Lord, you have made a way for us to have communion with God, to be in right relationship with God, no matter what we're facing. God, I pray that if there's any goal in this room that doesn't line up with what you have planned for us, Lord, it's really easy to take on goals that are ungodly or goals that just distract us from our ultimate hope of heaven. And Lord, I pray that there would be goals in this room just laid down at your feet tonight, whether that's a big lay down or a small one. God, we submit all of the hope in our heart to you. We want God-sized hope this Christmas season. We want your power at work in us, Lord. We want your love to live in us and through us that the world could know not just hope, but they could know God-sized hope, that they could join you in heaven too. We love you so much, God. I'm so thankful for every person in this room tonight. I pray, Lord, whatever they're facing, God, there's nothing too difficult for you. Nothing in this room can separate us from your love. God, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is impossible with you because your hope brings life to dry bones and your hope brings beauty from ashes and your hope multiplies our offering to feed thousands around us impossibly. Father, I pray that you would bless each person in this room tonight and that you would give us the willpower to share our hope with the world. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.